oftentimes we'll, we will gaslight ourselves and we'll say, well, I, it's not that bad, or I'm here today, or they'll compare to themselves to people that had, had it worse off than they did. And they think, well, therefore it can't be a problem for me. But I will say to you, you don't really know how big of a deal it is until you start to go there. And oftentimes it's it's un, that untangling process to go to those dark corners. People don't realize that is oftentimes the underlying linchpin of why they can't get better. And I, when I see people deal with the feeling stuff, whether it's chronic stress or unresolved trauma or both, I see food sensitivities go away. You know, and they've been doing all this amazing stuff with food and supplementation and that's needed. It's one side of that gut feeling point, but it's still just one side. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. This conversation and interview was so much fun and I learned a lot of things that I was not expecting, especially when it comes to the emotional component of your health. Things like the brain and gut connection and this bi-directional communication that they have. I have to say it really opened my eyes to so many things. So I think you're going to love this conversation. Our guest today is no stranger to the world of natural health. In fact, He's a leading functional medicine doctor, author, and expert who specializes in chronic disease. Things like autoimmune conditions, hormone imbalances, digestive disorders, the whole gamut, guys. He does it all. He's the host of the Art of Being Well podcast, which I personally love, the author of Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum, and the New York Times bestseller, Intuitive Fasting. So guys, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Will Cole. We have him in the house. I cannot wait for this conversation. Let's dive in. Dr. Will Cole, thank you for being hey a guys. part of the podcast. Thank you. I need you guys as my hype team every morning just to wake <laughs> up, have my cup of coffee, hear all the amazing things I do, I'm do. i doing. <laughs> thank you. It's just so kind of you, and I'm excited to be talking to you both. Oh, we're so glad that you're here, and I know that many people out there need a, a good encouragement, not just encouragement, but great education and great information. And I think when you see a whole spectrum of, uh, you know, healthcare or health information, and you can go to reliable sources, I think that's one thing that here at the Institute, we always want to like encourage, and we want people out there to know that we're trying to find individuals that can put education together, but with this sense of a great bedside manner, and you have that, and you, and you show things in a nice, clean, easy, simple to understand format, but it's so educational. So we're really thankful that you would join us today. Thank you so much. I love what I do. I wouldn't have any have it any other way, and I appreciate the opportunity. So cool. Well, I have to ask because I have read your other books. I love Inflammation Spectrum. That's one of my favorites, and you do a great job educating, like Dr. Motley just said, educating really a a large audience of people, not just your patients, which I love about doctors that are in practice when they can really start to share with the world that maybe don't have access to your team, right? But you're, you're, you're educating people so that they can take their health back into their own hands. And that's really what this whole podcast is about. So after your most recent books, what really was it that you felt like, you know what, this is a gap. People need to know that this is a critical element to their health that they're not aware of that brought to the forefront, this new book, Gut Feelings. So all the books were born out of myriad of different conversations of, with patients. And just when you hear things enough and you talk to enough different people about similar things, you get a sense that there's this undercurrent of people needing access to this information. And, and so that's been the truth for the first three books. And this book has been on my heart actually for a while. And it was just a matter of how it would 
the messaging, how I would get it out into the book world and have that conversation with people other than my patients. And that's why I write books too. It's the, it's like for people that don't want a functional medicine doctor, don't think they need it or don't have access to it. We're talking about just a low cost thing where I put all my experience with patients for the past 13 plus years at the telehealth center into these books. So this book was really this, these conversations that I have about people of, and, and seeing it also in social media of how in the West, we will oftentimes separate mental health from physical health, that somehow we relegate it to this abstract conceptual quote unquote chemical imbalance and it's mental health. But the reality is mental health is physical health. Our brain is a part of our body just as much as anything else is. So we should not separate it as some separate thing. And um, it has to do with our physical health, but it's bi-directional. And I really wanted to have, in my opinion, a functional medicine conversation around this because I love that in so many ways, our culture is normalizing mental health care, meaning people, the destigmatization of it, they're um, able to talk about it more. It's in conversations online and amongst family and friends, but we have a long way to go. And I think that it is also an incomplete conversation in many ways because of that separation between mental health and physical health. It's things that I see play out in people's lives every day of my life, consulting patients of how we see how things like underlying gut problems and mold toxicity and environmental toxins like glyphosate, how these physiological things or these gut things of the gut feelings duality, how do those things impact how our brain works, impacting things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. But then conversely, how do the feeling side of gut feelings, things like chronic stress and unresolved trauma and shame, how do these mental, emotional, spiritual facets impact our physical health, which is really the bigger conversation that I'm having in the book is about autoimmune inflammation and how these mental, emotional, spiritual things impact those people, how, what the science says of how these things can be literally stored in ourselves. And our body is the cellular library and the things like the words we say and the experiences we have and things like trauma are the books that fill up the cellular library and how it's in expressing genetic predispositions for certain things. So it's really um, a big conversation. It's a complex conversation, but one that I think really our world needs so much at this point because many people are left to fend for themselves. There's so much medical gaslighting with people with mental health issues and people with autoimmune problems. And I really wanted to give a voice to both of those people. I, I, I truly am thankful for this because, you know, when you talk about bridging the gap between psychology and, you know, that disconnect between psychology and physiology, and we know that it's all together. And I love in the book about how you talk about inflammatory foods, infections, things that go on your gut can distress and imbalance the type of neurochemicals that actually make you have your perception of life. And Doc, when you see that in your office every day, you see that you're getting gaining grounds by fixing people's digestive tract and their mental clarity, their mental uh, awareness was coming back to them. When, when you started to grab this, not grab the idea, but recognize this, do you base all, a lot of your, the books because of your experience? That's what I love when I read your books, because mm -hmm. it's something you experience right through your day. Yeah. Oh, that's hundred percent it really. And it, it's just at that point, it, me knowing the research, me being immersed in this all day long with play, applying the research into people's lives. But then with the book, I get to really have this like, bigger conversation, I guess, 
put it all together, craft it, formulate it in a way that is a, there's a, a through line. There's a, a, a story for people to learn about what's going on with these different inflammatory problems and how we have to have a both and approach. We have to deal with the physiological and the psychological to heal because it's, if you just deal with one or the other, it's going to fail a lot of people and people are going to get stuck at plateaus. How you can really move past that plateau is really by dealing with both sides. And the book is in many ways written for the health nut, the health nerd, the health aficionado as somebody that's been one of them <laughs> since I was a little kid. It was for them of just checking ourselves about these different things. I talk a lot about you know, this, I think what I call shame inflammation in the book of how things like obsession and shame and stress, even about healthy things, right? We're like stressing about eating healthy. It's not good for our health. So really kind of having a, a, a almost like love letter, I think, to the health and wellness community, because I really feel I see it play out because our patients are extremely well-read, erudite people. They They know more than most doctors do about health. They listen to all the podcasts. They read all the books. But we kind of in many ways have lost our way and we become almost many people become orthorexic. They they almost dis disordered eating and disordered living around stressing and shaming themselves about not being good enough and not doing all the next biohacking things or wellness things. Again, it's a big complex book, but I, I, I really am excited for people to read it. And Corey, real quick, I was, this is like a beautiful part about it. I love it that you talk about the enteric nervous system. And about like nerves that are connected from brain and gut. Could you touch it lightly on that and let people know about that? Because that's such a huge thing that I, I picked out of the book. Sure. Yeah. It's the it's a major hardwiring hardwiring aspect of our body. I mean, the autonomic nervous system has three main branches, right? We have the sympathetic, the fight or flight, the stressed. We have the parasympathetic, the resting, digesting, hormone balance. We have the enteric nervous system, sort of the the gut's innervation between the, the gut and the brain. And I talk a lot about in the book about the vagus nerve, the largest cranial nerve in the body and how it translates from the word wandering. So it's this wandering nerve that innervates this, the parasympathetic aspect and really innervates this gut-brain connection. And we know the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. So when babies are growing in their mother's womb, that gut and brain are formed from that same fetal tissue and they're inextricably linked for the rest of our life through what's known as the gut-brain axis. So the enteric nervous system, the vagus nerve, plays a major role in that. So people that have it, what researchers call a poor vagal tone or low vagal tone, that is a massive issue where it's, it's like kind of like a seesaw, right? The sympathetic is, is overactive. That fight or flight stressed inflamed state is overactive. That muscle is, is tight and overactive. And then the parasympathetic is weak. It, it is, it's lacking healthy regulation and, and vagal tone of the parasympathetic. So that's the, a lot of the tools that I put in the protocol in the book have to do with modulating or regulating the nervous system in a uh, more of a balanced way. And a lot of that is geared towards strengthening the, the parasympathetic because that is the weaker part of of people's nervous systems, which is impacting the way that inflammation expressed, it's, it's, in, it's impacting their digestion, it's impacting their mood and energy levels. This is this brings up something that's so interesting to me, and you've kind of already touched on it, but I want to focus on it for a minute because there are a lot of very health forward people. Like they are out there doing everything that they know. They're consuming so much information to try and overcome 
whatever condition it is that they have. And they're very self-aware. But I think that one of the issues that, and I know I've run into this too, but it's in the disconnect between, you know, doing all of these things that are supposed to be supporting your body, but then not realizing that the very things you're subscribing to every day, like the choices that you're making, and it could be your job. It could be, it could honestly be over consuming social media. Like Mm -hmm. you, you can actually just follow all the health people in the world and then drive yourself crazy because mm-hmm. they're posting all these things and you're like, oh my gosh, I got mold in my house. And oh my gosh, the EMF is killing me. And like, I mean, it's crazy the psychological impact that that can have. So how are you suggesting or, or recommending people even evaluate what it is that they're currently doing? Because some of these things that are sabotaging their health are things that they have complete direct control over. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good place to start is for people to take inventory of their life, right? I mean, most people within the wellness world or people that are interested in health, even if they don't consider themselves an aficionado of health and wellness, nutrition, they are starting off with good intentions, right? They want to feel better. They're, go- they're looking to have agency over their health, all amazing things. But I think for many people within the community, I think in part because of the amount of information out there, which is great, but it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I lovingly call it Dr. Google, but it's this sort of endless vortex of oftentimes conflicting information, which can overwhelm people. So I think it depends on that person's, you know, vessel capacity or bandwidth, right? It's like some people, there's just so much information for where they're even at that what started out with good intentions ends up being this sort of rabbit hole of too much stuff where they have this massive supplement graveyard. They're doing all the things and they need like a, their wellness routine. is like a part-time job or even a full-time job for some people. (laughs) I think you're describing my life right now. (laughs) You you ought to go to Courtney's uh, cupboard and and look in there. Well, like this is a no judgment zone, but the book, the book is for you too. But it's like, uh, it could become I'm not diagnosing anybody, but I'm saying orthorexia is the term for disordered eating or unhealthy foods. But I actually think there's a larger orthorexic umbrella around lots of things within wellness where it's like, if I don't do all of these things and they're panicking or they feel like they aren't doing enough or they, they are, then they heard about another thing that sounded so good. So they add another thing and another thing and another thing, all well-intentioned things and not even bad stuff. But it's like, part of why I wrote the book was just almost like a reckoning and an, a, like a life edit for your wellness routine of saying like, what are going to be the most effective needle movers for me? And let's like be our own end of one experiment and mitigate variables as much as possible to really see what are the needle movers for me. So we can lean into wellness. We can enjoy these things. We can level up our life. That's what we want to be doing, but let's do it in a sane way, a sustainable way, a grace-filled way, a light way that I think many people kind of lost their way with that how people can know where their nervous system's at. I think looking at your energy levels, looking at things like background anxiety or anxiety, looking at things like depression, brain fog issues, word recall, name recall issues, looking at digestive issues like slow GI motility or IBS issues. Look at if you're diagnosed with obviously an autoimmune problem or metabolic issue or mental health problem. Uh, These are all signs that there's going to be dysregulation of the nervous system and the immune system, i.e. hypervigilant sympathetic response and chronic inflammation going on respectively. So that's kind of the initial 
check ourselves and see how we're feeling. And, um, and then what are going to be the tools to get there? How are we going to start to move our, our health in a positive direction? And, you know, part of your question was about like, well, what do people do with all of this information? You know, there's a lot of resources in the book where I talk about basically having healthy boundaries with technology or with ourselves or with, with wellness itself. So I have some patients like I don't let them go on Google. Like you just need to not go on Google for a while. Mm-hmm. You need to just like focus on what you're doing and be consistent with the things at hand. And more isn't always better. Cause I find that, you know, if we find the most effective needle movers for you, like what are the most powerful tools within your toolbox? You don't always need more tools. You just need more time and consistency. And you also need a good mindset around the things you're doing. Where it's like, if you could have an amazing wellness tool, but if you're stressing about it when you're doing it, it's going to com- be a completely different result than if you really just are excited about it. And it's a place of nourishment. It's a place of self-care. And you're coming in it with that sort of, uh, I think maybe like an abundance or nourishing mindset. These are some of the nuanced things that I think are really important, make a huge difference in somebody's health journey. I agree. I, I love the, the fact that when you talked about simplifying and trying to hone it down to what would repair the gut. And that would re- go into heal- healing the brain. And I, I'm with you, Doc. It's that there becomes an overwhelming effect literally on emotions when a person comes in and they have 30 different bottles of supplements when they come into the office. And one of my mantras has always been less is more. And I think like energetically, you don't even have the capacity to tear down 15 different supplements if your liver and your digestive system's already weak. I sometimes have to talk people down just from them separating from all the supplements they have. Like literally they think they're going to get sick because mm-hmm. I took them off six different supplements. Yeah. The beauty of the book, which I love is how you correlated the connection about how you can change diet, simplify, and that sends a signal right back up to your brain, tell it to calm down. Mm-hmm. And that can help you with your emotions. I know individuals out there are going to ask you this too. What if you have trauma in your brain, can that signal go back down to your gut and cause you to have gut problems as well? Can there be that reverse pathway down there to your gut causing some of this dysregulation? 100%. I see this all the time. And that's that, that dual conversation, that bi-directional crosstalk conversation that I wanted people to see is that how the physical stuff will impact your mental, emotional, but the mental, emotional stuff is without a doubt impact the physical stuff. And I see people that clean up their diet, they eat super clean, they eat foods that love them back, they take all the right supplements, they're doing everything, everything on paper looks good, but they have not dealt with the feeling stuff. They will they will be the people that typically, well, there's two groups of people. There are people that are going through current stressful times in their life and they're just downplay it, right? They just will say, you know, it's just so common for them that they normalize it. It's that high stress job. It's that like family situation. It is whatever that is. And it's going on and they just downplay it in their minds because it's so normal. But at that, whatever, that life stressor that is impacting their health and they're stuck at the plateau and they can't realize like how, why can't I get better? Or it's the person that says to me, hey, I don't even, my life's great. Like, I don't even know, like, I have nothing to stress about, but I feel like this background anxiety. I feel this hypervigilance. 
oftentimes it is stuff from the past that hasn't been resolved that's impacting their health today. And then obviously people can have both too, the current stress and part of that current stress, that lack of resilience is driven by the past stuff that's unresolved as well. So one of the things we have patients fill out when we're talking to them at their, their initial telehealth consult is an ACE score, which I talk about in the book, but it stands for adverse childhood experience. It's very well you know, mainstream thing, but the higher the A score research shows, they're more likely to have triggered autoimmune problems, inflammatory issues, hormonal problems, metabolic issues, weight loss resistance, things like fatigue later on in life. So we're asking very deep in personal things like was there sexual abuse growing up? Was there physical abuse growing up? Was there neglect growing up? Was there, you know, there's so many things within that score. But basically, we need to have this heart-to-heart -heart conversation because we may think it's in the past. Everybody has trouble. We oftentimes will we will gaslight ourselves and we'll say, "Well, I it's not that bad," or "I'm here today," or they'll compare to themselves to people that had had it worse off than they did, mm -hmm. and they think, "Well, therefore, it can't be a problem for me." But I would say to you, you don't really know how big of a deal it is until you start to go there. And oftentimes it's, it's on un, that untangling process to go to those dark corners. People don't realize that is oftentimes the underlying linchpin of why they can't get better. And I, when I see people deal with the feeling stuff, whether it's chronic stress or unresolved trauma or both, I see food sensitivities go away, you know, and they've been doing all this amazing stuff with food and supplementation and it's needed. It's one side of that gut feeling coin, but it's still just one side because it's less prescriptive, right? It's not milligrams of this herb or eat these foods, don't have these. It's very black and white. So for that type A personality that's so common within our community, it is that abstract, less linear feeling stuff just seems like it's not worth our time. Like it's not going to be that big of a deal. Like why should I? Meditation's just such a waste of time. I'd rather like make this and do that and, and work out like this. But people don't realize the gravity that this feeling side holds on the, on our body. I'm going to let Dr. Motley respond to that. Because I, I, I love this. I love this talk, Doc, because sometimes or many times in the office, uh, patients will come in and I'll be checking pulse points. I'll be doing different things to see what's going on, uh, especially in digestive reflex points. And I know you know this, uh, the, these avenues. It is amazing to me that an individual the way they think not only disrupts their digestive tract, and I love how you put it in the book, it's that we forget that it actually rustles and ruffles up your body's ability not only to digest food, but also can you make the hormones. And you talk about serotonin and dopamine and about how you think can actually change your bio, your basically all the microflora in your gut. That was such a great part in your book about how the way you think is a constant communication between you and your microflora. And the mm -hmm. amounts of different bacteria can determine what types of chemicals are created for you to actually have a clear mind and clear brain. Yeah. Could you touch on that? Because that was such a great part of the book. I mean, I, yeah. I love communication and this whole Star Trek quorum thing that's going on <laughs> in our bodies, man. It does. It sounds science fiction, right? It sounds like, okay, how, how could these microbes influence how our brain works? But that's actually what the science says is that these I, I i i'm a weirdo so i think of the 90s <laughs> cartoon 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where <laughs> that villain, remember the brain inside of the robot would walk around and like the, I think his name is Krang. I have to look this up. I've been saying it on a podcast. Yes, Krang. Krang. <laughs> this weird brain-like thing controlled this robot. And if the brain left the robot, the robot was just a robot. That's how I think in many ways the human body is. It's like we are the sophisticated host for this microbiome where it's metabolizing food, it's helping digest, but it's also converting hormones. It's making neurotransmitters. It's regulating inflammation. Like we would be not here without the symbiotic relationship without the micro of the microbiome. So it's upwards, depending on the study that you look at, it's a hundred trillion bacteria. And it, we have like a poultry, like 30 trillion, like we're compared to the microbiome. It's very, we are multiple times more bacteria than human. And um, it is influencing so many things about as far as our mood, our energy, our hormone health, inflammation levels, and of course, digestion. Yeah, I mean, it, we, studies show that it's a causative role when you have lower levels of these beneficial microbes like different bac bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, they will influence how things like serotonin and dopamine are expressed. So the crosstalk between the microbes, the metabolites they make, and our neurotransmitters and brain uh, is very, very deep, uh, far-reaching implications there. Um, and then let alone the inflammatory component that can associate it with a lot of these dysbiotic bacterial imbalances that I see all too often on labs. I, and real quick, Courtney, I just, I love this because doc, when you talk about that, that, you know, the communication and the, and this bilateral pathway in your body, the one thing that I I'm, I'm thankful for is for everybody out there listening is that, um, doc, doc Cole always talks about how like let's say imbalances and mold and toxins and emotions could create all this toxicity and uh when toxicity is in the gut and it creates the imbalance those toxins also get into a, a condition called leaky gut and even in your pre previous books it talks about how the toxins go into the bloodstream and, and i'm mm -hmm. talking about that gut feeling and i see many times like with the uh, chinese medicine that we practice at the office it's like when those toxins get into the heart the heart space they start to have this emotional feeling of like, I feel abandoned and I don't feel like I'm supported. And what I'm, I love the chapter about your heart, about connecting your heart, because mm -hmm. many individuals don't realize that whatever you eat can create toxins to get into your blood that goes to your heart. Mm -hmm. And um, in all the research that you were talking about, like, you know, the brain is also connected to the heart and to the gut. And they're all like a big unit that works mm -hmm. together. Do you see that um, people's like, I find that people's hearts start to mend when they mend their heart, their emotions get better, their gut starts mm -hmm. to get better. Now with that toxicity, do you believe, I do, I believe like whenever you start to start to heal the gut, you can heal your heart. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And research shows things like leaky gut syndrome and increased intestinal permeability are linked to things like heart disease. So that's an interesting point because I think many people on sort of the gut side of gut feelings well, they'll say, well, I don't really have any major digestive problems. So therefore they equate that with, uh, this, I don't have a gut problem. You don't necessarily have to have extreme or overt digestive symptoms to have underlying gut components to your health issues. So when you look at the research of cardiovascular health or brain health or hormonal health or musculoskeletal inflammation, joint muscle issues, I go on and on. Like these are not overtly digestive problems. Many autoimmune problems don't have major digestive or any digestive components to their you know, mm. list of symptoms. 
But there is so much research looking at how the upstream root issue is actually what's going on in their gut, which is makes sense when you're talking about two thirds of the immune system, inflammation is a product of the immune system. Most of that's originating in the gut. So there's a lot of gut centric components to what the cascade or the downstream ripple effect of whether it be the heart or the brain or the hormones or the joints or the muscles. Um, so yeah, it's really important. And, and oftentimes we aren't looking at the cause we are in, in the West. We will just go to where it is. Well, I have a brain problem. We're going to look here. Or if I have a heart problem, I'm going to look here. And that may be part of it. Like downstream supports needed sometimes, but ultimately if you're not dealing with the source, you're going to just be chipping the, you know, the tip of the iceberg to use that yeah. analogy. Yeah. All right. So in talking about leaky gut and inflammation, I have to ask about this post that you made on Instagram, because I think that one, it's really powerful and it's a message that needs to be shared. However, I know that it might, it might ruffle some feathers and, uh, and some, some women, some people might, might not, uh, love the idea of this because even in the health community, we have kind of been sold maybe a little bit of a lie about alcohol and it being, you know, acceptable and it's okay. And it's good for your heart. And, you know, it has, you know, wine has, uh, antioxidants, all this stuff, but you made a post. I want to read it. Cause I actually love reposting all of your stuff because it's so good. <laughs> you said, and I, this was, I think this was fairly recently, but it says alcohol is a massive saboteur to the gut feeling connection. Studies have shown it can lead to bacterial overgrowth, leaky gut, and inflammation. Even drinking a small amount a few times a week is linked to brain shrinkage. So can you extrapolate, expound all the things on that? Because I was like, yes, he went there with alcohol. But then <laughs> I'm also like, you know, we might be losing people right and left. Yeah. At this point. Oh, totally. No, 100%. Don't take We're... away my wine. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. It's like that, like sort of mommy wine culture, like this, like it's, it's glamorized, it's normalized. It is even a part of the wellness community in many ways. And there's no shame. I don't want to be like this, this teetotaler, puritanical, like zealot, but I, you know, I'm just looking at the research and you can decide for yourself what you want for your life. And I think that many people are going in again with the best of intentions and they think, well, to hear the press about it was was good for our heart at some point people talked about that and you know that's all they really needed to go, go and run with it uh so any reasoning i started writing about al alcohol a while ago on social media and i had to put it in the gut in the book gut feelings because it's a massive saboteur to the gut feeling connection as i said in that post because both from a physiological and a psychological but on the physiological gut, gut side as as you said the research is clear. It is a neurotoxin. So it's going to impact the gut brain axis. It's going to raise inflammation levels. It's going to put a lot of stress in the microbiome, impacting dysbiosis, bacterial imbalances. I see a lot of people that have bacterial imbalances that's fed by these things that they don't want to let go of. They clean up their diet, they eat super clean, but they're having this drink, the drinks on the weekend or the wine in the evening or both. And they're wondering why they're stuck at this plateau. Or they're wondering why there's brain fog and fatigue. There's wondering why there's sleep problems and depression and anxiety because they're really just never giving their body a chance to process and deal with the burden that they're putting it under during with this neurotoxin that's a part of their life on a pretty consistent basis, even in small amounts. 
the researchers, they're talking very tiny amounts are having a negative impact on people. It's not a lot. And obviously, the more that you drink, the more toxic neurotoxins you're putting in your body. Um, but on a feeling side, beyond it impacting your gut, it's, it shrinks the brain as well and impacting prefrontal cortex of the brain and different parts of the brain that impact memory and focus and just optimal cognitive function. You look at the rate of different neurodegenerative issues. We have to look at alcohol's implication in many people's case. But on a feeling side, I see the recoiling when I'm talking to some patients initially, where it's like, how will I function? Like that, how will I be able to wind down? And they get very defensive about it because that's their way to relax. It's their way to be that social lubricant with their friends. Some people's friend circles are entirely centered around alcohol and drinking. And they just don't even know how they won't even have any friends. So this is beyond just the physical stuff. This is like a way that people distract and numb and cope with their life. Yeah, I had to talk about it in the book, but you know, I'm saying it with love, but we just need, if we want to feel better, we have to look at these dark corners oftentimes. Yeah. I always get real, Doc, I get real nerdy about it when they talk about like, uh, when they drink like wine and they're like, Doc, I got to have, you know, my couple glasses of wine. I, I remember like when I first started out that they would come back and I would get, I would get certain tests done and they would have like high ethanol, high arabinitol and aldehydes. And I was reading this research a long time ago, this guy in Italy, and he was saying, well, if you, if you have like, you know, different forms of cancers or autoimmune and stuff and inflammatory, you better watch out for the yeast overgrowth and all the byproducts it grows. And most people don't know is when they have a glass of wine, it's like, what are the byproducts of yeast? Like mm -hmm. if you put sugar into yeast, what does it do? It produces ethanol and carbon dioxide. So you're going to walk around like you have, like you're drunk or you feel mm -hmm. like you have brain fog. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the hardest things to me too now is whenever you start to tell them that and you say it raises inflammation, but one of the breakdown, breakdown products of histamine is going to turn into aldehyde. So you actually have aldehydes, formaldehyde running around your blood. And I think it's such a poignant thing that you said about how it injures the brain, because I think when you say awareness emotionally, mm -hmm. I mean, how can you have clear, clarity with your perception if you have yeast poop, you know, yeah. all in blood and such? No one wants brain. yeast poop in their body, please. <laughs> Poopy yeast and shrinking brains. It doesn't sound fun to me <laughs> when, you, when you really break it down. That's Maybe right. I don't want to put anybody episode. loves blind. You know, okay. I'm not saying that. I just, I, it really is a, a pretty big deal. Like you said, like I literally have people say, have you ever this doc? They'll go, you can do anything you want to do, but don't take me off my coffee yeah. and don't take me off my wine. I'm serious. I will do everything you ask me to do. <laughs> like, but I think it would help you a lot. Probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I really find when people are brave enough to take that action step and like, I give a, like sort of a titration, like goal in the book, when people start to feel better, I very rarely see people who we're not talking about full-blown alcoholics, right? We're talking about people that are on that spectrum of just maybe drinking too much, they're, they're, they're dependent on it to, for their anxiety or whatever they're going through. Um, and it's just become this unhealthy habit that doesn't love them back. I find that those people almost always, they when they go off of it and give their body reprieve, they just feel so good that it's kind of a bad trade-off. And that's what I really talk about in the book about this concept of food peace. It applies to drink peace too. It's like when you eat and drink things that love you back, like avoiding the things that don't love you back isn't restrictive. It's like, nah, it's a bad trade-off. I like feeling great more than I thought I wanted that thing. 
So that's that. They just have to give their body enough time, have enough bravery to step out into that unknown, mm. to really give their body time to feel. And that doesn't mean they'll never drink again, but they'll really have a more of a mindful awareness of how these things make them feel. And it's not going to creep in and proliferate in their life as, as, as much if they decide to go back and to drink at all. I, I actually, I, cause okay. I was, you know, I liked a good glass of wine. And then after, you know, so we have Marley who's eight months old now. So, you know, obviously when I was pregnant, I just wasn't drinking at all. And like, she's eight months old and I still really like, I don't drink at all now. Cause I just, after I had her, I was like, I just feel a lot better, you know, just not being able to like, you know, let's be honest, sleep is it's, it's a rare, a rare commodity over here. So if you can get real good sleep, that's like, that's where yeah. it's at. But maybe give us like an idea for somebody that is really having a hard time breaking into that unknown because they have like, this has been, this is a, a, a piece of their life that they've just depended on. And like you said, like we build our social circles around it. So what have you seen work for somebody if they're like, I think I want to do this, but it sounds miserable. And this is going to be completely unknown, uncharted territory. Like what's a practice they could maybe swap this out with that gives them something to look forward to, maybe something to a new habit, I guess, to, you know, implement that could kind of get them set up to start feeling better? Well, I think for many people, it's going to be um, really looking at why they're doing it. Where's the habit around? What is sort of this, their trigger or habit that even brings it about? Is, this, is it a social circle? Is it I'm stressed out during, the, during my day? So I think a lot of it is taking inventory of all these different aspects of our life. And is it stress management? Is it having healthier coping mechanisms to deal with my stress or my situation? And as I talk about in the book, like if there is an unhealthy situation in your life or stressful situation in your life, you have three choices. You can either change, leave, or accept the situation. So sometimes people are drinking to like deal with this thing that they haven't made that one of those decisions. They're not an acceptance of it and they haven't really made the decision if they could change or leave it. So maybe it's a job, maybe it's a, you know, it's relationship situation that they're just looking for any form of escapism from their, their life. So I think that some of the tools within the protocol in the book are meant to be a, a healthier coping mechanisms, but be give a clarity and I think a grace and a space around your life so you can make more conscious, healthier decisions for yourself. So it met, it could be meditation, it could be breath work for some people. It could be I talk about the research that are coming out of uh, Japan and South Korea of Shinrin Yoko of using mm. nature as a meditation, forest bathing as it's translated into English and really you can get a lot of clarity on that, but also it'll help to lower your stress levels. It'll help to strengthen that vagus nerve. So your body can be more regulated on its own and you won't need that substance to distract and numb you. Um, and, you know, I think that's one. And then what can you do to fill in with that? It's not about de depriving yourself from something. You can enjoy other things. So I, I give different you know, drink recipes, like having sort of an adaptogenic tonic that is really can work on stress relief and improving your body's resilience and have that calming mechanism, but it loves you back. You're not going to pay for it the next day. You're not going to have that hangover or that histamine response causing the brain fog and anxiety the next day or the migraines the next day. Um, and, and there's so many like mocktail options for people too. So if they want that fizzy drink that like tastes great, and maybe there's neurotropics or adaptogens in them to really help 
to modulate, again, your body's stress response, that brain adrenal axis, you're going to get all the relaxing benefits of the alcohol could bring you without the price tag of the brain fog and the migraines and the hangover and the digestive problems the next day. Such a great point, Doc. I think like, I love the way that you put that because I love how we look in Chinese medicine, they look at, you know, the liver and they say that if you continuously feed it alcohol, you raise a lot of the yang aspects of it and it gets heated up and that's the wood element. And that wood element, if it gets too hot, it will not methylate and it'll feed the fire and the fire gets too hot. So if individuals start getting angry and they get overwhelmed. And so if you drink a lot of alcohol, I always say, you have to be careful because it's going to stimulate, it's going to dehydrate that gallbladder and you're going to feel overwhelmed. And then you're going to feel abandoned because mm-hmm. the heart gets overwhelmed. And I think that's a beautiful thing about the gut feelings is because you're taking it into this, in this whole realm where people are not re- realizing this or recognizing it. With this, as you know, the gut feelings are coming about, have you had good relationships and good talks with psychologists? And I saw some good forwards. I, had some, I saw some good mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a good support from the psychological realm from this? Because- yeah, I do. At least the ones that I, 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 I talk to. I'm sure I will, I will irritate somebody out in the world, but <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Look at the, the ones that drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The ones that are drinking and you know high on the God complex, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Yes, I have some, like a Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a brilliant neuroscientist and and just understanding brain health and retraining the brain, the limbic system. Uh, she has, we're, we have this whole um, online mastermind for everyone that orders gut feelings. And it's going to happen shortly after the release of the book. Um, but she's going to be a part of it with me and Dr. Daniel Amen. And uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera, who is the holistic psychologist on Instagram, but she is a brilliant psychologist and she wrote the foreword of the book, actually. So, uh, yeah, I mean, them and then many other people that I've talked to, uh, Dr. Will Sue is a psychiatrist, Dr. Uma Nadu. These are all Harvard, Yale, like very prestigious psychiatrists and psychologists all read the book and love it. So if I got their seal approval, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, you're in the arena with some great people and they're doing incredible work in their own sphere of influence. But I, I do love the way that you've given a lot of practical tips. So if if you when you get the book, everybody, when you get the book, there there is a 21 day challenge component to it. And so I think this is great because a lot of us maybe need a little bit, like you said, we need boundaries and we need accountability. So I think you're actually providing not only the knowledge component where we can have an understanding because we need to be able to understand it, but then many of us, including myself, need framework to work from. What you said, going back to the beginning, just saying, you know, some of us need some boundaries. Like those of us that are prone to information and consumption overload, like we are just consume, 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 which just drives more anxiety. It just drives more bearing down on all the variables in our life, which then just increases stress and creates all kinds of inflammation in the body and keeps our nervous system trapped and paralyzed in this fight or flight state. And I think a lot of us, and I keep, you know, I totally fall into this bucket, are trying to do things we think are going to promote our well-being when they're actually so far in the other, like they're so far down the one side of the spectrum that it is now pretty much holding our bodies hostage, our nervous system, essentially, which then just Mm -hmm. Basically, it's the linchpin, like you said. The nervous mm-hmm. system can't ever relax. You're never going to be able to heal. And I, I want to. I have to. I loved this little part, but talking about in your book, loving your body, like you can't 
you can't hate your body and be able to heal at the same time. What does that mean for you? And, and really wanting to communicate that to people because I think, and that shame flammation, like that's a really, I love that you kind of coined that term, but I think that many of us don't realize the subconscious voices that we speak over ourselves. And mm-hmm. as long as we stay in that place, like you've got to one, be able to recognize when you're doing it, but two, like you've got to be able to heal the parts of your mind and your heart that can say to your body, it is okay to heal. Like I am mm-hmm. safe to be able to do that. Um, and so I, I would love for you just to maybe, you know, land the plane here, because this is such a, to me, like that self-compassion and loving foods that love you back. Like there's so much to that. And I think many of us probably don't ever put enough emphasis on that part of our health. Yeah. A a big part of the book is really, I think, I don't want to say it controversial. It it probably will be controversial because, you know, I wrote the intuitive fasting. I thought was the most uncontroversial book ever. And it ended up being controversial, but this book, I understand why it could ruffle some feathers, but I'm okay with it because I think it's an important part of the conversation. I think that this toxic tribalism within our the wellness world between toxic diet culture and what I would call toxic anti-diet culture is a very problematic because just like anything else with politics or any sort of situation within our society, we have these very warring extremes that are there's lacking context and nuance and a spectrum of different beliefs and thoughts. And I think that it's the old, like antiquated diet, dieting culture. It's, it is eat less, work out more. It's all about thinness and how you look. And, and it, it's in, in the modern era with Instagram and the TikTok algorithm and, and all the, the, the sexy bodies out there that everybody is like, Oh, I want more of that. It's that, that FOMO inducing fear of missing out culture that is within life and certainly within wellness itself. But then on the other side, toxic anti-diet culture kind of removes all basic uh, facts and knowledge about human nutrition, that there's quote unquote, no such thing as a bad food, all in the name of quote unquote, body positivity. And I think that that leaves a lot of people because believe me, their own community are messaging me and saying, I'm afraid to even come out and say I'm eating foods that love me back now. And there are foods that are really disruptive to human health because I will be ca- it'll be called diet culture automatically. Mm-hmm. So I think that both sides are really missing the mark. You should not shame your way into wellness. As, as you said, like you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot obsess your way into wellness. But on the other side, there are some foods that will mess up your blood sugar, that will raise inflammation, that'll impact your energy levels. Avoiding those food, foods isn't restrictive. It's, re- it's self-respect. And there's some low-hanging foods that are going to do that for pretty much every human. So it's okay to call a spade a spade and say that some things are not good. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that thing, you're too good for that thing is really what it means. It means you're too, you have such, you're so valuable that that food isn't worth your time. So it's not an indictment on the person. It's just saying that that food isn't really going to sabotage how you feel. And I love you so much. I don't want you to feel like that. So it's really coming from that place of what I call this third way, this middle ground of food peace. And really all of these these tools have to be predicated on loving your body enough to nourish it with things that love you back. And so that's really uh, the conversation that I'm having in the book and all the 
tools, all the biohacking stuff, all the gut and the feelings, like every day within the protocol, there's a gut tool and a feeling tool for them to explore and experiment with and see how it resonates with them. And there's a lot of bioindividuality, right? It's like, they're going to come through that protocol and say, okay, I like these more than that, that one, this one's more applicable than this one. And that's great. That's what I do in functional medicine. I want people to explore the most effective tools within their toolbox. And at the end of it all, if we all ate the same and worked out the same and did all the stuff, wellnessy stuff the same, we still would all look different and, and be different and be different sizes. And that's great. But we're all healthy doing it. You know, I, I just, at the end of the day, I think the ultimate body positivity is eating foods that love you back and avoiding things that don't love you back. Oh, man. You couldn't put it better, Doc. I think that when I love when you talk about food peace, you know, as we shift and people get to a point where like, I'm going to eat a food that's actually really good for me. And the beauty of it is like when your body shifts, you may increase your metabolism in a positive way. And the things that basically you loved and it loved you back at one time may shift to another food because you're going up on that plateau. And I think that's the beauty of this is that you recognize that your body will change. And sometimes the foods that you love before you may not love as much because your body's building. And I think that's the great thing about food peace. When you talk about it, it's that middle ground. It's like, you don't go too extreme. You just have to realize you keep moving, you keep adapting to where mm -hmm. you want to be. So I really appreciate that in this book, doc. Thanks, Ben. And it's okay. Like, do you see your point? What serves you today isn't always going to be the case. It's okay to pivot. It's okay to evolve. It's okay to learn new things. And your microbiome changes, like your metabolism changes. There's going to be things. So, so I, that goes back to the tribalism too, especially amongst people who define themselves as one thing. Like I'm vegan, I'm vegetarian, I'm keto, I'm, I'm paleo, I'm carnivore. That they will realize that, look, okay, maybe that served you for a time, but is it okay to evolve? And what is your body talk telling you? How can you kind of beyond, move beyond labels and really just find the foods that love you back? So good. Man, this is oh, so, good. so good. I'm so fired up because I just, I love that you use the word value because I think that there are a lot of people, a lot of women, especially that do not realize the value that their life has for this specific point in time, that there is an assignment on their life. And they think that the surrounding circumstances, and maybe it's screaming children, maybe it's a job that's unfulfilling, maybe it's relationships that are failing, whatever that looks like, cannot diminish the value that you have as a person. Like you carry tremendous worth and value. And so what I see like so much of the messaging of really your platform, like this book, but beyond that, and really just what you've instilled into your practice and how you live your life, like it's honoring the value that you see in other people and getting them to recognize that light in themselves. I mean, and the analogy that I use in the book on that is it's a car, a car analogy, but it's to your, to your point. If someone sees themselves as that Lamborghini that they are instead of that old jalopy, how will they fuel themselves? How will they, you know, where will they park themselves? Yeah. How will they wash themselves? How will they tend to themselves, right? And I think so many people don't realize that they are a high-end luxury vehicle and not an old lemon. So I think that's a paradigm shift that many people, you know, and that's self-compassion. That science shows that. I talk about self-compassion practices in there where it's like you will, people that have higher self-compassion scores have lower inflammation levels. But beyond that, they also make choices that love them back because there's compassion around the whole situation.
I know I'm, I'm not trying to, I know we have time guys, but I'm always sensitive, but it's beautiful that you guys are talking about that like, worth because we talk about in the stomach meridians and we talk about spleen and it's all about self-care and self-worth. And they say that if you're always in constant fight or flight, if you don't have value, you're going to decrease all the chi down in your stomach and your spleen, all that energy. And so what will happen is your body will not want to eat a lot of food. It won't want to be nourished because it's rebellious. It'll push it right back up and cause nausea. But they say one of the biggest things, if you don't have worth, you're already in fight or flight mm-hmm. and you're going to put too much care out and not receive it. And so the internal area around that area is not going to, re- to receive food. You won't be hungry and like, I'm not worth it. I don't need to eat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beauty about, like you said, the Lamborghini and gel- you got to make sure that if you are going to recognize yourself, give yourself some good food. Like I always tell my, I always tell my patients, like, don't put, do you put dirty oil in your car? You just go and grab dirty oil. Like, no, nah, like, come on, you know, mm-hmm. you got to start using some clean stuff. Yeah. We have to love ourselves just at, if not more than our car. I mean, come on people. <laughs> That's right. Man, this has been a great combo, Doc. Thanks so much. We really appreciate so good. it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Can you just give us a quick rundown? Okay. We all listen. Most of us, if you're not following Dr. Will Cole by now, come on. We got, we got, we got, you know, you got to go over there and do it because, like I said, I repost all of your stuff because it's so good. Thank you. But let us know, let, tell our audience where they can find you, where they can find the new book, even your books that you've written before. Guys, you got to, I, I love Inflammation Spectrum is one of my favorites. Thank um, you. But uh, yeah, and you've honestly been a huge part of me understanding and growing in the space of helping others. And so, yeah, it's been phenomenal. But give us the Thank quick you. rundown of you know where you're at so people can connect. Thank you so much. Everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. But the links to the telehealth center, the, the becoming a new patient, if they're interested in that side, the podcast, The Art of Being Well, the links are there. And all the books, you can... Uh, Gut feelings that we're giving away tons of free stuff. As I mentioned, there's the online mastermind, as well as many other things um, for everybody. And the links to gut feelings are there, but they can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, independent bookstores. And um, on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Will Cole. All the places on social, just type in my name. I'll be there. I'm trying out TikTok, but I really suck at it. But I'm trying my best, <laughs> trying my best. I'm but, impressed. You're giving it a shot. I haven't, I haven't even, I'm not even on TikTok. So I wouldn't advise it. I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's fun. Thanks um, guys. I appreciate it. Well, no problem. This is so thanks, great. Guys. Well, thanks guys for joining us on this episode. And I hope this conversation has served you in a great and mighty way. Make sure you pick up Dr. Will Cole's new book that will be available everywhere here shortly, probably actually when this episode drops. So thank you again for joining us, Dr. Motley, Dr. Will Cole. It's been a great time. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.